Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscara, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got game him. Winning. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Is it me or does the bumper always get a little better and seem to be more on point, uh, especially when describing you as uh, the more I hear it? You would me? think that, wouldn't you? I would. I think right. it is you, yeah. All right, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos sidekick. We've got to recap what was a weekend ETSU men's basketball beating Western Carolina. ETSU women a rough day on Saturday, but uh, they get to turn around a couple of road contests. be interesting to see uh, how they stack up against Sanford and Mercer. We'll talk about that um, a little bit more as we get to Wednesday and Friday show, but we'll talk men's and women's basketball. We'll also talk to the new men's soccer coach, Jay Elden. It's great to have another, another Jay? Jay. Yeah, it is. A better Jay. Oh, that's fair. Ouch. That's, he's, yeah. Coming in hot today. Yeah, you are. Well, I, I started. In fairness, I threw the first one. and uh, you, you First day of the week, you, and you just you got You volleyed it back. You know? sure. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, okay. you, you lobbed it up to me. All right, and then uh, what do we got? Bold prediction uh, recap. So we'll talk about all that and more. We'll start, though, ETSU men's basketball in Cullowee doing what they do, which is win not just against Western Carolina, but win in Cullowee. And I gave the stat it was 8,028 days <laughs> since the last time ETSU was lost. That will climb significantly because you have to wait almost a full calendar year before uh, they go back there again. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and Nobody wants to have the streak broken, and clearly this men's basketball team didn't want to be the team that did that either. And I'm quite sure that you will have the day count then as well. Is there anything – this could be a whole pros versus Jays segment. Is there anything you enjoy more than long amounts of days between no. things happening? No, that, I love it. And you love, love to – Mentioned it at every single chance again. So this one is especially long. Uh, now, also especially long, Vanderbilt's three-point yeah. streak that is now over, over 25. I did enjoy uh, Tennessee's SID, whoever it is, gave the easiest one, two, and that was it. They didn't say one, two, three in the mm. winning graphic. Mm. <laughs> over 25. Very mm. cheeky. Very good. Um, and the jokes were Tom is good at what he does, though. I I also enjoyed the uh, tweets regarding the over twenty three or over twenty five performance. One was uh, sounded a lot like me and you. Uh, I'm over twenty five on threes. That sounds like me at a bar on a Saturday night. It was something along those oh, lines. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's very good, very so clever it, wordplay. Now I will say this: we're fifth now, we're I, number five. I, I was interested to see because when it started to to make note because we do harp on ETSU streak, and of course I go out of my way to mention. Every time they hit one, what what the streak number is. Cause Staple it, of the broadcast. Uh, yeah, sure. And it's only because it was a happy accident a few years ago that we found it, uh, that that was a streak, and then had to get it recognized because, give a lot of credit to Oakland's SID. I can't remember his name. I don't even know if he's still there. But he had did a ton of research, not just to find Oakland's streak, but to find 
the top whatever, and then there were two teams added since then. And so um, it, it it all kind of came about there. But Vanderbilt, had, since the invention of the three-point line, that sounds almost fake, but since the invention of the three-point line, they had hit a three in every game. And so I wanted to go back and see, and I, I find it ironic that it was all Tennessee teams, you know, Vandy, Tennessee, ETSU kind of tied up in this uh, particular uh, game, that the way it worked out. But I wanted to know if Vanderbilt kind of knew the streak needed to be uh, continued. And they did come out later and say yes, because if you go back and watch it, there's a couple wild jacked-up threes at the end of the game. <laughs> they, they they were told, like, hey, you know, the game's not here. And I get SIDU. Somebody come over and say, hey, we've, we've had a three in every single game in the history of the three-point shot. Guys, you got to hit one. And, right? and somebody's got to throw one in. I mean, if we're not going to win the game because we're getting beat pretty good there too, like, can somebody throw one in? And, I mean, just – so the fact that they tried to keep it going – I think was an uh, impressive uh, uh, that they didn't get it. I mean, it's ho- over twenty five. I mean, that sounds that's a lot of threes. It's not like they just had a game where they didn't take a lot. Over twenty five. I mean, is almost impossible. If I'm not mistaken, when Kentucky was over, it's like over thirteen. Right. Like, and and they won the game. Like, it wasn't even a situation where they're they're playing real bad or anything. I mean, you know. So it was just interesting to see twenty five. I mean, that's about what it takes nowadays. And so that's why it's so hard. And few and far between, and actually, I, I want to say there's a couple other teams that have hit a three in every single game since three point arc's been invented. And I want to say it, it, it might be Princeton, but because they didn't play for so many years, they play a few less games than everybody. They didn't have a conference tournament, and now they do have a conference. The, the top four teams are the only teams that play, so they lose out. And then I don't think they, you know, I, maybe NIT, but other than that, they don't play any of those other postseason tournaments. So, so that was my question because it says in the ESPN article about the game, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. loses their streak, and I swear we'll get to the Bucks here in a second, head coach Steve Ford, but Vanderbilt loses their streak. UNLV and Princeton are the other two teams mm-hmm. that have hit a three in every and, game. And since Princeton the up the until arc. a couple years ago was still leading, and maybe it was last year, just the pure number of games that ETSU plays eventually passed them. So – that's my question is you look at the top five from I think it was earlier this year it's like February 9th I found an article uh, from what seemed like a reputable source cross-checked it with Kevin Brown I trust Kevin Brown wholly completely on this subject because he meticulously goes through every year and double triple quadruple checks Uh, he's uh, the sultan of men's basketball statistics no doubt but I found on this streak list, UNLV at the time was at 1,060. It's more now, obviously. But UNLV, Vanderbilt, so that's gone. Duke, Western Kentucky, and Arkansas. So Princeton's not in the top five. And so because of the sheer number of games, they yeah. have fallen off that much where ETSU is now number five and Princeton is behind them. Yeah, and, e- okay. and ETSU needed uh, to make up some ground. And, you know, that's part of the deal. You know, you can if, – if those teams are not good and they're not playing in extra games conference tournament, they're not playing any postseason – and probably being allowed to play in CITs and, um, you know, NITs and things like that for ETSU, who has, you know, obviously been to 10 NCAA tournaments themselves, uh, eight, eight of, nine of those, nine of those in the three-point era. So they've been allowed to, you know, win conference tournament games. There, So the, the numbers game does kind of play into effect here on when teams can kind of leapfrog. You know, just quite simple, if Duke somehow fell off the map because they're – 20 games ahead, and let's say for four, let's say Mike Krzyzewski retires, they go in a funk where they're a first-round bounce out in the ACC tournament every year, no postseason play, and ETSU could make up three, four, five games each year. In five years, four years, they could pass them 
just by the sheer volume of games. So it is it it is an interesting because all things aren't created equal, right? It's in a thing where the NBA plays eighty two games. Well, I guess you can still go playoffs there, but you know, still it's a situation where not not all things create equal because for Princeton, the unfortunate thing for them is they just weren't allowed to play in a conference tournament. I don't think they participate in anything other than NCAA and NIT. I could be wrong on that. But I just don't think they play, and I don't think they play as many regular season games as the uh, a lot of other teams do. So, uh, I mean, in, in FCS football, they clearly don't. They, they play 10 games no matter what, uh, even when you're allowed to play a 12th game like this year. Like, they only play 10 games. No, they don't play in a playoff. So, you could pass them in a lot of numbers, too. Invention of the free throw, or excuse me, three-point line was 86-87. Is that correct? Yeah. So, you look back at that season for Princeton, they played 25 games. And then it was 26, and then 27, 27, 27, 28. 26, 26, 26, 29, 28, 29, and then finally 1998 to 99 is when they finally cracked 30. So to your point, it can add up. And smooth transition here, I think. It was about three-point shooting for ETSU in that win over Western Carolina. You said it on bold predictions, which you got correct. We'll get to more of that at the end of the show, but more threes for ETSU than Western Carolina. Western Carolina goes 7 of 21. The Bucks go 10 for 23, and Isaiah Tisdale hit 6, and I think that was even for Coach Forbes joked about it after the game. Yeah, we figured he'd lead us in threes because, you know, he's so good at three-point shooting. And just kind of let it trail off and gave that empty space. We were just like, ah, I see the sarcasm here. But this just once again shows and you can attest game in game out that ETSU has the kind of depth and the skill sets from different players I mean Isaiah Tisdale has been one of the best defensive players in the Southern Conference if not all of mid-major basketball this year you can directly attribute a couple of wins that ETSU has had two late stands by Isaiah Tisdale defensively but if he's stepping out and shooting the three (laughs) I mean it's going to be very difficult to beat this ETSU team that's now 17-3 17-3 and three because you have the Trey Boyds, the Patrick Goods, the shooters that you know are commodities for the Bucks, the ones you have to stop, and then, oh, your defensive stopper that's, you know, averaging six, seven, eight points a game and really, I mean, has in his career hit what, maybe four or five games with multiple three-pointers? I mean, it's probably not that many. I can go back and look at the game-by-game while I'm bouncing this idea off you, but, I mean, 9-13 from the field, 6-9 from three, 26 points, 12 rebounds. Once again, just very impressed with his performance. Six of nine for three. And he started six of uh, five of five, and I think it was six of seven. Uh, so you look at that. I think he even had a good sense of humor about it when he said, when I asked him, you know, how did you know sort of when the first one go in? He was like, no, the first one went in. I didn't think anything. The second was nothing but that. Thought it was going to be a good day. Thought maybe we could get patch record. And I thought that was funny because clearly I think even he knows he's not going to hit 11 threes in the game, right? 12 threes in the game. But it was just funny that everyone sort of came on there but but it's been their day and sometimes you shrug your shoulders and if you're a team like West Carolina and you're sitting there and you're going okay I said Tisdale's got 11 threes on the year probably let him take a few right he's not even averaging one a game to your point on not many multiples and then all of a sudden boom and we've seen that before on the flip side we've seen right one of the uh, Allegri last year mm. came in for UNCG it had all of like was frustrating. you know five threes and <laughs> yeah. had six on a day or something crazy and I mean it was it was crazy. We saw R.J. White only hit 11 on the season, but in one game in Freedom Hall, he had six, and you're going, okay, he had two coming in, left with eight. So you, you've been on the other end of that, and you certainly see what it is. But it just shows again how damn – I mean, if you're sitting there going – and I clearly didn't sit here and go, okay, ETSU, Pat Good, Trey Boyd, 0 for 5 from 3, we're going to beat them from 3. Something that they just fall out of bed and have double-digit three games. And they, they were – Western Carolina – uh, tied their lowest output of the season from outside the arc. Now, they take a lot of them, but they still finished with seven 
you know, 7 to 21, 33%, not awful. It needs to be higher for them for the style that they play, considering no Carlos Dotson, and we probably need to get into all the injuries that uh, mm. kind of came about in that contest. But still, the story of the game, I think, was the early three-point shooting. Nine made threes in the first half, nine of 14. And the only way West Carolina was in it was because they were 13 of 17 from the free throw line. And just one to nine from three in the second half. But in all honesty, they, they didn't really need threes. They, they did need some buckets. And, you know, again, you sit there and you go, what if Tisdale hits six threes? Bo Hodges hits a couple. I mean, even Lucas Casson has a three over And that's the destruction. <laughs> if, you know, Trey Boyd and Patrick Good even are, you know, hitting it through usual clip, it would be a complete massacre. And it already kind of was. I mean, the Bucks were – Ahead the entire time by double digits. I mean, they got it to 10 Western Carolina. did at one point in the second half, and then a quick 7 nothing run. I mean, it was never in doubt this outcome. There was some extra security there. The tell you that, but I had some reports from some – and I did, obviously I didn't pay attention. I don't know if it was because a couple of years ago there was an actual fist fight that broke out Ooh. in the stands after the game between a couple of fans. Now we're talking. Um, I think a couple of students, West Carolina, a little bit of, uh, little bit of the bubbly before they uh, made it to the game. But uh, and then there was like a band member got escorted out. I saw I mean, it, was, it was crazy. But there were I don't know if that's a testament to people kind of knowing <laughs> that ETSU is the team to beat, and so you you have that going in there. I don't know if it's like, hey, we've got the student section right next to your section. You know, do we need to protect people? Do we think you know we've got crazies? Is it just a matter of the fact that they actually had you know? A quarter of the building sold out, which for them is impressive. You know, perhaps it was the two thousand. I mean, it was about two thousand people, right? They're just not used to that kind of crowd. I think they listed three, but I, Did I, they just, really? I can't. I don't. I, I saw some of the stands didn't exactly look like. Well, three. I mean, the, the the top ten rows are you can't even sit in. They, right. They've got the tarps on them, so right. uh, it's a great crowd, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. For West Carolina, we go there plenty of times, and the two hundred and fifty, you know, three hundred ETSU fans that make the trip are literally half the crowd or more. Right. I mean, so the fact that they had a great crowd that that showed up and was ready to go, made some noise, and uh, was ready to see their team. Now, I think there were a lot of things that, that threw a monkey wrench into everybody's game plan. One, of course, people were still wanting to see Jerome Rodriguez back even for Western Carolina. They want mm-hmm. to see Rodriguez and Dotson. Then we find out, you know, in layup lines 30 minutes early that Dotson's in street clothes, and I'm like, I'm just thinking, well, maybe, maybe he puts on his uniform later or something. I'm, you know, big guy, you know. And um, it turns out he had a groin issue, wasn't wasn't able to go. Uh, not even real sure if it happened at the Furman game, and then it flared up afterwards if it was in practice. Either way, he didn't go. Then they had an ugly-looking injury, which I haven't got an update yet on um, Gibson. Oh, I, Cameron oh, Gibson. Gibson went down uh, with his uh, – stepped on Bo Hodge's leg or foot. Right and in then, front of you, And then right? it kind of slid, and the – oh, it didn't – yes. Yeah. It reminded me a lot. I, I cannot – I've tried to think about the, the player's name from Mercer – I think it was Hoffman's first or second year in the league. We were still in the Atlantic Sun Conference, and a guy jumped up to to catch a pass on a fast break. He's a four man, and they threw a kind of a cross court pass, breaking a press, and he jumped up to catch it. When he came down, his his knee and leg crumbled right in Ooh. front of me. I mean, just and it ended his career. He was a fifth year senior. Wow. I mean, just tears uh, coming around. People having to literally carry him off. So it it. Didn't look that bad, but it there were some shades of that 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 was not an issue of, hey, maybe I twinge something and I'm just for precaution staying down. I looked like that was going to be much worse. Then Bo Hodges gets undercut on a, a attempted dunk. He hits both of his legs and knees hard on the ground. Was able to to gingerly 
um, sort of get going. And then as the game in the second half, and he really – because he, he missed the last about three and a half minutes of the first half, was back to the locker room. And uh, talking to the team doctor afterwards said basically, hey, I think I think it would be all right. Probably could play in the second half if he wants to. Mm. You know, depends on how it feels. It, I guess it felt well he played. Now he's got a little bit of extra time just to see how it is. So there was some injury. It was not the, the, the game and the setup I think people were expecting. And now I do think that it, it's very easy for fans and, and other people to look at something and go, well, ETSU won by 19, but, you know, we had 15 points not even in the game. Well, the game, everything's different, you know, because ETSU would have guarded different. Things would have happened. Some guys that scored for Western Carolina, like Xavier Cork, who was averaging four points, had 16. Right. That's probably about where Dotson would have been. So I don't think you can count Cork 16. I mean, I'm just not a big fan of that. And I've seen ETSU fans do that too, you know, when a guy's out and they go, oh, yeah, well, we had the extra 18. Well, but it's not like you're getting extra possessions. It's right. It's not. Those possessions it's not, were used it's, in other every, ways. Everything's a little different on, on how everything is. So, I mean, you can't, if you're a West Carolina fan, you, you can't really do that. But I, I think fan bases in general, it's pretty popular to say, you know, oh, we had this, you know, we're missing 15 points for this. And yes, I, is Dotson a way better player than Cork? Yes. But, I mean, Cork still went 5 of 7, 6 of 11 from the line. The truth is I don't That's think – a good night for him. And, and I don't think anybody. they would have gone, they being Western, to the free throw line as much because I don't think they would have spread the floor as wide with Dotson. Dotson would have been on the block. He's not going to hover around the three-point arc like Cork to clear out and let Faulkner drive to the hoop with nobody in the middle of the paint, right? That's exactly what he would do. So there's some things there. But the encouraging thing, obviously, you can win. Again, the Bucks find a way to win when their shooters, the particular shooters that you would consider shooters, in Trey and Patrick Good have an off night. Rebounding-wise, Isaiah Tisdale was an animal, 12 rebounds. That's a career day for him. I mean, he did about everything you could imagine. I mean, Vonnie Patterson was one point. Uh, you know, he had 9.7 rebounds. I thought all of his play was spectacular. And not turning the ball over. ETSU just eight turnovers. It was a rough day for Davian Williamson again, and I think he's just in a little bit of a sophomore funk right now. I don't know what um, – I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. I'm not sure if, you know, we need to do a pep talk to him or something, but I just feel like ever since that Little Rock game, he's sort of kind of just uh, – and, and maybe some of that is because you're seeing what Tisdale's been able to do. You've seen Patrick have nights. You've seen Trey have good nights. I mean, just uh, – I mean, obviously you know what to expect from Bo Hodges, so I, I'm not real sure. But Davian's still got 20 minutes. It's not like they're not giving him a shot. And it's not like the staff's losing confidence in Davian. I think Davian just needs to have a few things go his way uh, and then just think about how dangerous, again, ETSU is. And that's even considering they've still done all this, uh, you know, scoring 80-some points without their leading rebounder, Jeromey Rodriguez, in the game. Yeah, and really that Little Rock game, he had 20 against them, then came back against Citadel and North Dakota State, had 16 in each of those, then a couple off games, but then 14 against LSU, 13 against Cleveland State. But since the Cleveland State game, or pardon me, 13 against Mars Hill and 14 against Cleveland State, uh, the LSU game he had four, so just one game off there. But over the last six, he's only averaging like five points a game and only double figures in one of those, and that was against Sanford, and he was five for nine. But I think you're right. I think he's looking around and saying, wow, you know, maybe this is just not my time because everyone else around me is doing so well. There's only one basketball on the court. You know, these guys are feeling themselves. I think we're going to see a reemergence when the Bucks need it. I just don't think they need it right now. Wrapping up that stat on Tisdale before we hear from Coach Forbes, it's interesting because at the end of last season, he really started to find his groove from three, went nine of 18 from downtown in the last four games. You'll remember that at the tail end of conference season, he 
slid back into the starting lineup again after really not being in the starting lineup the first three quarters or so of conference play. But then this year just has not shot the ball from deep. That momentum has not carried over. I shorted him because he did have 10 multiple three-point games last year, but it's only two this year including the one that he just had with those six threes. He was 11 for 42 from deep before going 11 for 41, I should say, uh, before going six of nine against Western. He was shooting at like 27, 28% after last year shooting it at 36%. So it's not like he can't hit from deep. And we saw that emerge again on Saturday. Here's Coach Forbes. First half was impressive. Came out cooking, all cylinders rolling, you know, offense, defense. Everybody was touching it. We led wire to wire on the road. That's a hard thing to do, and great numbers. Bo was cooking. He got tough injury, scary situation. But Trey came in, stepped up, and then second half, Bo came back, showed toughness. You know, and then they made their little run. And I'll tell you what, what we did a good job. I thought we adjusted in about halfway through the second half, Jay, we went small. We put Vani and Bo at the four and five. And then we switched it all, and they had a really hard time scoring. They really didn't have anybody inside that could really truly hurt us to win the game. And the threes were what was going to beat us on the fouls. We shut them down. It's a good win. One more from Coach Forbes. These guys are coming out confident because they believe they can win because they've done it. They've been down 20, 18, whatever, in the second half. And so we've got to go out and let them know right away, no, we're not going anywhere. And I thought we did for about the first five minutes. At the 15-minute mark, they hadn't really gone on a run yet. And then after that, they went on a little bit of a run, and then we subbed and, and got things back right. So that first clip was just a summary of the game. And then the second one, I thought it was really important. He was talking about his message to the team coming out of halftime. And we've chronicled it multiple times on the show, the 22-point come-from-behind win with six minutes left against Jacksonville. And a couple other games were late on. Western Carolina, including against UNCA, they were down nine with three minutes to go, came from behind and won. So uh, – They've done it before. Coach Forbes communicated that with his players, and even when it got to 10, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you go on that 7 nothing run and really slam the door. And that's something that early on in the season, we can think back to two or so months ago, and even within the last maybe six or so weeks, you know, before the LSU game, the Bucks weren't necessarily putting opponents away early in the season, right? They were either... Um, they had a lead at the half, and you know, the team would come back. And you remember the Arkansas-Little Rock game. Little Rock actually came back and took the lead and got up by seven before ETSU had to then come from behind themselves and take the victory on the road. So that was early on a big issue for ETSU. And over these last couple of games, specifically against Western Carolina, it has not been in the tight game against UNCG. They were able to go out and score, I think it was the last nine points, to take that seven-point win. And obviously, you know, the Furman game was a loss. But VMI, you know, you would like to win by more than six. But that being said, you know, uh, you're struggling offensively. But the last two games with Sanford and Western Carolina, uh, there has been absolutely no question, I think, in ETSU's second-half performance. Remember, they were only up eight against Sanford in the end of the first half and then come out and put up 51 on the Bulldogs and once again really left no doubt about the result. No, they did not. And I think, you know, just it's going to be a fun ride. I was sitting here staring at the standings and things are just, you know, there's really six teams that could do a lot. I think Mercer's starting to wake up. I mean, uh, by the way, I was shocked by that final score, especially after the team meeting that Mercer and Sanford had after ETSU. 
where Sanford stayed in the locker room almost to 10.30. Wow. Having a, and Josh Sharkey got into it a little bit with Coach Pageant, let him have it, and Sharkey responded the next game with two points on 0 of 6 shooting mm. and 25 minutes of action. And so they've got some issues. There's still no Ross Cummings for Mercer, but Mercer all of a sudden is starting to score the basketball. And so uh, they're starting to come up. But you, you look at the league, and I think most people going into it, including us, we sit here going, okay, it's ETSU, it's UNCG, it's Furman, it's Wofford, and whatever order you want to pick. And then you're going, okay, the next group, you know, Western Chat, Sanford, nobody really knew about Mercer, and now you're sitting there staring at the standings, ETSU at 6-1, and one, Furman, UNCG at 5-2, and two, Western Carolina, Wofford at 4-2, and two, Chattanooga at 3-3, three and three, Mercer and Sanford at 2-4, and four, VMI 1-6, and, and Citadel 0-6, oh and, and so then the Bucks get a couple of games with Chat pretty quickly. Uh, they'll play Chat, uh, and then I think it's, uh, is it Mercer? Mercer and then, home, and then and then and then UNCG, UNCG and then one. on the road right to Chat and Mercer. Chat, yep. So and I think it's Chat. So you get Chat Mercer UNCG Chat Mercer. So it's an interesting little swing to to kind of get those games out of the way. Uh, but I, I think ETSU with a big win and a little bit of a flex to go on the road. West Carolina's feeling pretty good about themselves, and it all started with defense. Defense is uh, one of our main things we try to focus on because we know defense travels, offense sometimes varies. So. Throughout the whole season, practice, everything, we work on defense nonstop. Coach always says he always uh, recruits offense, coach defense. So that's our main thing. That's what gets us going. I love that Isaiah drops a career-high 26, makes six threes, double his previous career-high 12 rebounds, but post-game still wants to talk about defense because that's really, I still think, his identity as the defensive leader for ETSU, along with Bo Hodges, and the fact that he still appreciates, despite the offensive side of the ball, knows that if the Bucks can defend like they did against Wofford, you know, and won by one point, and then obviously on ESPNU we saw last Friday that Wofford went out and absolutely crushed Furman on national television. Uh, so that's looking like a better and better win. Not that it wasn't going to look like a good win, but uh, you got to be able to win multiple ways. And ETSU, we said that going into the game, the weaker side of the ball for Western, and it's true, and it showed, I think, is that defensive side of the ball. I mean, Western was eighth in the nation in scoring going into this game, and they put up 66. ETSU is able to dice up their defense and put up 85. I'm not sure I'm completely convinced yet that the quote-unquote offensive struggles are behind ETSU, but with these last two games, um, I think you're going to have struggles here and there throughout the season. Just it, That's how it goes. We talked about Kentucky and St. Joe's – or sorry, Kentucky and Wichita State, the last two undefeated teams in the regular season in college basketball over the last decade, how they struggled at the exact same time frame that ETSU did a few shows back is when we discussed that. And they emerged right when ETSU is emerging. So it's going to happen. And while Western and Sanford aren't exactly phenomenal defensive teams, two of the worst defensive teams in the league – I think the confidence piece is big. And while these struggles that they had may not be behind them forever, at least right now it appears that they've been able to rebuild some of that confidence, maybe save David Williamson. Yeah, and I, you know, the good thing is you're still sitting there looking at it. And there are – I mean, it's a broken record, but there are so many guys that can step up and score. You know, it just seems like what is the – and I think each issue does a great job of knowing – unselfishly who's having you know the the better night and getting them the basketball and i think that's the one thing that makes him really really dangerous 
is the fact that they're able to recognize, okay, Tisdale's playing good, or whether it's Citadel and Dromi Rodriguez or Little Rock, they're finding Davian who we talked about. And Davian's third on the team in double-figure games. I mean, so it's just been, again, he's hit what normally you would say is sort of that, that freshman wall, right? And But he's a sophomore. He's been there, done that. So all he's got to do is turn around. Trey Boyd hit it a little bit. You know, he had a couple of games where he just had five points. Um five against Wofford, five against Furman. Then he's at least come back with four straight double-figure games. Still maybe not Trey Boyd numbers as he was earlier in the season, but he's still getting double figures. And, you know, Bo Hodges only scores early when he needs it. You know, he's he's I think he's fine not having the ball in his hand unless, you know, you need a tough bucket. And it was a couple times against Western Carolina, especially when they cut it to 10, that he needed a bucket. And I thought Bo Hodges did a great job just to force his way inside and get a bucket. You know, whether it was against Ono um, – Stager, or whether it was against Halverson or whoever else wanted to guard him, I thought Hodges was just unbelievable uh, of getting a tough bucket when they needed it. And so I think that's what's fun about this team. It truly is, you know, you're not sure. You can't really prepare. I mean, if you sit there and you go, West Carolina, our game plan was to really shut Pat Good and Trey Boyd out. And and really, let's be honest, Trey got eight of his points late. He also got the the credit when Hodges got taken out of shooting the two free throws. So that's really a situation where he didn't didn't really earn those free throws. So I mean he he got you know eight or ten of his sixteen points really you know kind of late some broken assignments things that just fell in his lap. And I'm not taking away from Trey, but I think Western Carolina did all they could to try to take Trey and Patrick get out of it, and then they still got hammered. And again, I know they're not full strength. There's ETSU, it happens. But still, I think that's what's impressive about ETSU. What, what do you really want to try to take away? I mean, do you want to take away just whoever's out there, take away threes? you want to try to take away inside game? I mean, when they left Lucas Kassan one-on-one inside, he did a great job of, of scoring the basketball, and he was a tough matchup for him. And I think he would have been a tough matchup on the defensive end for Carlos Dotson, too. I mean, I think Gusson's uh, just length and sh- touch around the hoop. And then, of course, they sloughed off of him, dare him to shoot a three. He ended up hitting a three. I mean, you know, he went to the free throw line, knocked down most of his free throws. So, I thought it was an impressive performance again. Look, now, this next game for Western Carolina, we'll see what they're made of. They're going to Mercer. Mercer's finally won two games in a row. They're starting to feel pretty good about themselves. Is Western Carolina ready to take the next step and be in the conversation of one of the top teams in the league, or are they just – close enough i think the best thing talking to brooke savage after the game uh assistant coach and him saying the difference in etsu and western carolina was that western carolina hasn't been in those games and he he kind of equated it to the first year that steve forbes was on staff and etsu had a home game against chattanooga i hate to bring it up but it was a really huge game everyone's there it was the first time like the huge turnout in the Forbes era, and they're ready to to take that step because they'd fallen behind under the you know last few years of Murray Barto, and they're waiting for it, and then just got beat pretty good. I mean, Chattanooga beat them pretty good, and and he said, you know, we we weren't ready for the game. We have not been in those games. Our team, ETSU, he was speaking of, has been in all those games. They're used to that. Western Carolina has not been in those games, and it showed in that one. And I think it's clear that they're going to need dots, and not that that's earth-shattering news but they stuck with Furman that's when you and me and some others I think started to take notice a little bit yeah they're at the top of the league but you know who had they played and had to come from behind against a number of teams really late on how long can you do that how long can you play with fire before you get burned right but this game I think showed that Dotson's going to be really important for him and it just it should tamper some expectations for a team that like you said just has not been there before one quick clarification before we move on to women's basketball talked about Trey Boyd just doing a shell of what he normally does if 
he did that plus Patrick Good, then it would have been an even bigger blowout. Now, Trey did have 16, but you look from beyond the arc, which is what we were referencing with the threes, six for Isaiah Tisdale, 0 for 5 combined for Patrick Good and Trey Boyd. But, again, it just wasn't their night, and it was Isaiah Tisdale's night. It always seems like it's somebody's night for ETSU. It, uh, it is, and I hope it continues. But a big win for ETSU. We'll see again. Uh, Bucks uh, get a sit Wednesday and watch everybody else play and maybe uh, can watch people beat up on each other. But I think a big game for Western Carolina on the road at Mercer. If they're ready to take the next step, they'll bounce back and win this game. If not, then they're still going to be dangerous, but they're not going to be sort of, I think, in that conversation that they were sitting atop the league standing just a week ago with no losses in league play. So that's our first segment. When we come back, we'll talk ETSU women's basketball for this time out on Sanderson Sidekick. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology, to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson, the sidekick back of the Bucket Air Sports Network as Jay Sandoz alongside Mike Gallagher. He was on the call. Brooks Jim, ETSU Women's Basketball. We listened to it on the car ride over. And first half, hanging tough. Second half, not so much. Second half was tough for ETSU. Offer just came out and... Much like Furman, they were just blazing from the field, and ETSU just couldn't find the continuity on the offensive end. And I just think so much of this has to do with nobody essentially being 100%. I mean, we talked about the injury report on Friday. Going into that game, there were seven of the ten that ETSU has available that were on that report. And so when you have big guns like Chloe Wanick, Jamari McDavid, Cairo Booker, Deja Green coming in, did get a clarification on Jackie Carmen fantastic freshman last year for Wofford knee injury devastating terrible has had a couple of setbacks in her rehab they say it could be tomorrow it could be a month from now it could not be at all this season and she may take a red shirt for this year so she still has her sophomore year year of eligibility to be able to use but sharpshooter for the Terriers was her second leading scorer last year before that knee injury and that was the third of three years that Wofford has had a ton of injuries and just been killed by, speaking of injury reports, that injury report. This year they've been almost completely healthy aside from missing Carmen, but they had been struggling, and I thought that ETSU was really going to be able to get the offense going like they did last year. Maybe not to the extent they did last year because they scored 39 fourth-quarter points against Wofford and Brooks Gym and won 92-79, but it just didn't happen. You know, seven points in the first quarter, falling behind, and then you get it to 12 at halftime but then 20 of the 25 points in the third quarter for the Terriers and then they were able to kind of empty their bench and essentially played every healthy player that they do have on the roster. Carmen's the 13th that is not ready to come back from that knee injury yet but Wanick does what she does you know 15 points 6 of 13 from the field wasn't a great day for her but 3 of 8 from outside pretty standard numbers. Uh, McDavid you know Bruce Trambarger talked about it on the breakdown with me over at Brooks Gym just thinks that she is a very underrated player one of the better players that doesn't get a lot of credit in the southern conference 13 points few rebounds but just a total team effort for Wofford while ETSU did see Micah Sheets extend her double digit scoring streak to 18 consecutive games and Ty Kimbrough got to double figures as well but uh, Shania Jackson won for six 
you know, three of 10 from Elise Stafford. She was 0 for her first six through those first three quarters when the game was still in the balance. But Wofford able to run away with it simply because ETSU just didn't have that offensive flow that they need. Uh, Amaya Adams did return, but she only played six minutes. That ankle's clearly still an issue for her. And Sierra Purdue is healthy from her illness, so the Bucks did have all 10 that they can play. But again, having seven of them on the injury report, I, I just think that it's tough to play those long minutes. Uh, I was at shoot-around the energy really wasn't where I think Coach Zell expected it to be, where the players needed it to be in order to have a chance against a big scoring team like Wofford, who I still think are going to be a top two or three team in the league once things are all said and done. So I don't really count this as a bad win. But I think in the manner that they lost was discouraging for Coach Zell. As you'll talk to her on the coaches show tonight, I'm sure she'll own up to the accountability piece. She'll talk about how the energy was a bit lower than I think she's accustomed to and that ETSU needs to be able to hang with a Wofford but unfortunate but now they got to get ready to go on the longest Southern Conference road trip of the year you know that Mercer Stanford swing is not a lot of fun I can tell you from experience yeah it is not fun Uh, you know it as well well it used to be uh, for men it's actually Citadel Mercer and Mm. it would be Sanford chat oh wow and so you go all the way down and there's no easy way to get really um from Charleston, you have to go down to Savannah and take Interstate 16 over to Macon. You know, it's funny. You go to Sanford, you have to pass Chattanooga. So you always want to play Sanford first. Sometimes it didn't work out that way. You'd play mm. Chattanooga, then drive to Sanford, and then pass back by Chattanooga on the way through. And so um, That's annoying. That, was the, that was the first – I think it was the first year we were in the league uh, back. Then since then, that they, they got smart and ended the – you know, started Sanford on Thursday and then Saturday – Chattanooga, which, you know, you get a bigger crowd on Saturday this year for whatever reason, ETSU's at Chattanooga on a Wednesday, so that makes sense. But uh, I thought the big thing, ETSU got ETSU'd. 25 turnovers for 26 points for Wofford. It's generally a number, and when ETSU's rocking and rolling, that, that's always flipped, right? That's always ETSU does a great job of capitalizing off turnovers. Rebounding numbers I, I thought were good, again, yeah. c- considering – you know, the, they got some ladies in there scrapping now. It seems like there are more people gang rebounding. I mean, multiple players were four or more. And I know a lot of people are probably going, four or more? Why would you talk about But th- that's how it has to be. You know, they really don't have a Windex person that's going to come and, and get you 15 or 20, right? So, you know, they don't have two of them. They could probably get you 10 on a consistent basis. So if you can get five, six people with four rebounds, you can gang rebound. I mean, you got an opportunity to, to stay in the contest. I think, again, just – it's got to be a situation from now on that that you have to keep teams in the 60s just the way that this game uh, and the team and where they are in the season the way everything's shaped up they have to do it with defense they've got to keep everybody in the 60s and then they got an opportunity to win some of those 66 62 type games when it gets into the 70s and i know each issue struggled offensively didn't even get to 50 but Still, to get to wins at this point in the season, I think they've got to hold the opponents in the 60s to have a, a, a good shot. And, you know, if you have the rare shooting day, you get 75 or 80 on the board for ETSU women. I, I think that's awesome as well. But I think for consistent winning for the rest of the league, and they're going to play a team that wants to slow it down and can't traditionally doesn't score a lot in Samford. Mercer is just a shell of itself. So the next couple of games, they got an opportunity to hold teams down and give themselves a chance to win. But if Sanford or Mercer gets to 70, I think it's just tough 
right now for the ETSU women's team to get to that po- that uh, point plateau in the, in the game. Yeah, Sanford's playing a bit different this year. New head coach, new regime. So they're not the slow it down, keep it in the 50s type team they used to be, which is unfortunate for ETSU because that game, I think, like you said, fits them better than a shootout to 70 or 80. And to your point, you just have to look at the wins this year. 63-62 to 62 over Liberty. 67 to 61 over Appalachian State, 67 to 60 over Wake Forest, beat South Alabama 65 to 60. Of course, the converse game, but you kind of throw that out because it's a Division Two, and your point high this year 73, but against Division One opponents haven't broken 70. And then Western Carolina 62 to 57. So they've all been tight wins, seven points or less. They've all been between. 60 and 67 points that your team has scored or I suppose I can narrow it even more I think it's been between 62 and 67 and opponents have scored 62 61 60 60 and 57 so it's like ETSU has a specific type of game right now Brittany Zell squad that they can win and everything has to go exactly the same way it stops with the men for for two reasons one the simplest is injuries, right? I mean, just the the depth, and the other one's defection. <laughs> I right. mean, you, you you have EHO leave, and and you know we're promise on we're, we're trying not to talk about her. She's gone. It's a different story. Not to wish her ill will, just not on the team anymore. But you have a defection from your best player, and then the injuries and stuff, and not being able to establish depth. You know where the men have been able to win different ways. The formula for ETSU women's basketball to win is pretty set. And they've got to get to those things to, to pick up the victory. And I think that's pretty easy to see. And those last two games, again, let's emphasize, Furman is probably going to be your league champion. Now, they did lose on Saturday, and UNCG's up top now, but they're going to be one, two, or three. Same with Wofford, I think, one, two, or three. Probably not going to win the league, but I think that two or three spot is going to be reserved for Wofford. But, yeah, this game was just frustrating for Coach Zell on her birthday to lose by 29, I know it was just uh, insult to injury, right? And you you wish better for I don't care who it is, you wish better if it's an opponent coach, you wish it's better for them. Out. You know, it's it's not great, um, but you know the fact that she is able to kind of you know withstand that, you know, move on, get her team ready. I think you know what ETSU needs going forward, and this is what we've talked about. One of the many things that we've talked about, kind of ad nauseum, you got to have the third score, and all the stats point to that being the difference for this team when it comes to losses versus wins. They're uh, six wins. They've all had three scores in double figures or more where you haven't had a victory where the Bucks have had just two. Now, it's interesting because I think in the past, you look at the duos that ETSU has had. I think Shamaria Bridges was still here when Tiana Tartar was just coming in. Then it was Tartar for quite some time. Um, and then it was Tartar and Haynes Overton. You know, uh, and, and I think there was maybe one year where it was just harder. I'll have to go back in the stats and look. But, um, you know, Erica Haynes Overton got here in 2017-18. But, no, so Bridges was here uh, with Adrian Vaughn. No, not Adrian Vaughn. Tiana Tartar, yep. Uh, so it's Bridges and Tartar, really, up until, you know, Bridges graduated, and that was in 2016 Yeah, I think, I think Bridges was one year without Tartar. And, and then, then, then Tartar's first year without her, I think, had Haynes Overton. Yeah, I'm and then 2017-18, yep, Haynes Overton comes in, and she's the second scorer. So ETSU has had those dynamic duos in the past with Bridges and Tartar and then coming on with Tartar and Haynes Overton. And, and that's kind of been 
the Brittany Azell era here, right? It can be defined by Tiana Tartarnerica, Haynes Overton, and Shamaria Bridges. Those three forming those duos, and then it was going to be Haynes Overton and Micah Sheets, and that combination was good enough last year to get you eight and six in the conference, tied for third place. But now that that second score isn't there, you have to have a second. But more importantly, since there isn't that second, you have to have two people try and make up for that dominant first or second score that now you don't have. So you need three because you don't have the dominant two. And when you don't get that third, like the Bucks didn't against Wofford, it can get ugly. Uh, Stafford, you know, they've got a winning record when she scores above her average. Shania Jackson, uh, they've got a winning record when she scores or plays 20 minutes or more and scores in double figures. Um, you know, it just, it's very obvious looking at the stats, what needs to happen. It's how do you get it to happen? And those are answers I know Brittany is all searching for. Certainly you and me are not coaches. We don't have those answers. We can just diagnose the problem. And the problem right now is you just don't have the consistency from the second and third. Micah Sheets is very consistent. But the second and third is not there. It's somebody else every night. ETSU's had, you know, five different leading scores in their six wins. You saw Kai Upton blow up one night, right? Uh, or one afternoon against Western Carolina. Lee Stafford's been there. Micah Sheets has been there. Shania Jackson's been there. Ty Kimbrough has been consistent lately, consistent-ish. Uh, she could be a great third option, um, but she also has had a couple of off games lately. So, uh just need more consistency outside of Sheets and Kimbrough. It's got to be Jackson. It's got to be Upton. It's got to be Stafford. And on this road swing, you're going to find out a lot about the team because they're going into a Mercer, which we'll break down on Wednesday. They're going into a Mercer that, as you said, is nothing like they've been. You know, Kiki Calloway is gone. Kalia Lawrence is gone. Life without them begins. And Susie Gardner is really struggling to find the answers. They kicked their point guard off the team a few weeks ago starting point guard so she's gone um, and they just don't have a lot of options but again we'll break that down more and Sanford that's a winnable game too coaches else is like oh every game is winnable yes that is true no doubt but on the road it's tough to win in the league if you're looking at winnable games in the league Western Carolina Chattanooga's three and one now in the league by the way but then Sanford and Mercer it's a difficult trip because it's long drawn out schools just starting a lot of outside factors I think what will be really important is keeping basketball and the urgency up on this team and keeping basketball at the front of their minds despite everything swirling around them because without top focus on this trip, it could be another loss or two, and that could be very damaging for the Bucks going into the SoCon postseason if you're looking at seeds and matchups. Yeah, they, it, the next few games are critical, I think, to see exactly because the first time through, give, and it's not always the end-all, be-all, but the first time through the order, uh, I think just to see where everything is stacked up and what you sort of need to do for seeding. I still think you mentioned at UNCG, it's, it's going to be the one. I, I still feel like Furman's probably – it's Furman-UNCG right now. UNCG, the upper hand for the 1-2 slot. And then, honestly, 3 through 7, I could probably make an argument for. Anybody yeah. can – you can make an argument yeah. one way or another. It may not be a good argument for everybody, but you could make a legitimate – Argument and won't really know until the first time through really what, what happens because if ETSU does go on the road and they do pick up two wins and then come, then it's back home for Chattanooga, right? And then, uh, it's man, you pick up those three, you got a real good opportunity to kind of reset going into the second go around. And you would get Sanford at home, Western Carolina at home, you'd get Mercer at home. I mean, you get a couple of things going your way. UNCG then would be at home. So, uh, there's still. You can't get defeated. I think that's going to be coaching. Right. I'm going to talk to her about that. I'm like, this is still 
a situation where, you know, the conference, you know, for most leagues is the true second season where there's not at-larges, you know, because this is really a battle for seeding, and not only seeding, but you want to get the right matchup going into the tournament. I think that's the key. It's not necessarily do you have a high enough seed. Sometimes it's about, hey, do we match up well with this team in the quarters and the semis? and take your chances with whoever in the final. And I think that's how you have to look at it the rest of the way. And, for instance, Wofford's just been a bad matchup for ETSU the last couple of times that they've played them. The postseason, they did the exact same thing last year to end ETSU season that they did on Saturday against the Bucs. Forced a ton of turnovers, got a ton of points off those turnovers, and while they were down big early, now they were up big early this time around, but they were down big early, 22-10 to 10 after the first quarter was offered to ETSU in the postseason last year, but they used those turnovers to flip the script and won by nine. There was not much doubt when it came to this game, ETSU down by 12 at the half, and then the third quarter was what it was, but again, turnovers. And ETSU just can't have that many giveaways, and there were a number of bad giveaways too. You know, turnovers kind of come in a couple different compartments, right? Like, there's the mental mistakes, there's the physical mistakes, and then there's a combination of both. And, and there were a combination of both, I think, on Saturday. And some real head scratchers, if you ask Brittany Azell, and, and you were there watching the game. And uh, yes, focus is going to be, I think, really, really big for these two. Because if you come out of them one in five, like you said, um, it's going to be, I think, difficult for the Bucks to recover from that simply because of all the turmoil that they've had to face this year with defections, injuries, um, and just simply trying to piece together wins in the same way over and over. You're just not going to have the same type of game. They've got one way they can win a game right now, and you're not going to have the same game over and over and over. Yeah, the formula is it's, when, you, when it's a one-way formula, right, it's, it's too easy to figure out for right. the opposing team. That being said, I think that is the formula that ETS is going to have to do moving forward. That's our recap. We'll talk again on Wednesday. We'll preview the first of those two games, Sanford and Mercer, and we'll talk about the recap and the preview. The other one on Friday, new women's soccer coach. So we'll go from the hardwood to the pitch with Jay Yeldon and Mike Gallagher after this timeout here. Warm Santa's sidekick on the bucket here. Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. and the sidekick back of the Buccaneer Sports Network. It is a Monday. Usually in this space, we make a little bit of fun of Jay, but we actually have a different Jay joining us now. Jay Sando slides aside in a man that's new to Johnson City and the area, at least in terms of a head coaching position. He's been around for quite some time in terms of this area in general, much of his life, as a matter of fact, and the SOCON for much of his coaching career. Jay Yelton just named new head coach of ETSU Women's Soccer on Thursday and coach we are actually talking before your introductory press conference uh, are there any nerves heading into this press conference you were a head coach at one point down at Lee's McRae a 19 and 3 season and quite the season at that before going to Sanford for 17 years any jitters at all are you excited very excited obviously the challenge uh, obviously there's some jitters 
in that aspect that I want to go out and try to carry on the traditions and things I've learned over the past 17 seasons and being a part of the SOCON and being familiar with the teams. I'm excited to have some inside knowledge and not be a stranger to the league. And um, so very excited to take on the challenge, meet the team, and uh, get started with a new adventure and a new decade. All right, Coach, hard-hitting question. 17 years at Sanford. I think it's six straight Southern Conference regular season championships. You're keeping that streak going at ETSU, right? <laughs> That's the plan, right? Uh, so, no, um, the, my time and experience at Sanford has been special, but it's been one where I've learned what it takes to win the league, and I've seen firsthand the players that you have to recruit and the style of play it takes to win. So we're definitely going to be out there chasing Sanford on the hills and trying to make their life as difficult as possible. Well, no pressure. Don't feel any of that <laughs> as you're sitting in this chair today. What worked so well for you at Sanford and for the entire program coach how are you able to achieve such consistent success I think one thing is that at Sanford we've always recruited players that have potential and we've developed that so I think development of player has really and recruiting the right player who has a good work rate a good mentality people that you want to work with those things are important and um, so I think just the um, winning mentality that I've witnessed for so long will give me experience and help me know exactly the type of person I want to work with that's going to help me achieve my goals. I think assistant coaches in any stop, if it's a successful stop and you win championships and you go to NCAA tournaments are always going to be better advantage when it comes to stepping into a head coach role than those that have it. I'm curious, working alongside your brother for that period of time, obviously you're just inherently going to be closer to someone that is in your family, or, or that's my assumption at least. Do you think that gives you a more competitive advantage stepping into this spot because you just know things that much better having worked alongside your brother? Obviously, you know, having the experience of seeing the type of program you have to run and the way you have to lead the players uh, is a huge advantage. I think any time you're part of success, it's contagious, and uh, hopefully you carry that momentum into more success. So um, I think those things will be very valuable to me, and I look to build on those. And it's good to have a resource and both of my brothers who have a high-level experience as coaches. So um, obviously, even though Todd and I will have a competitive nature now, uh, he, we're still brothers, and uh, I'm sure we still look after each other as best we can. But also on game days, uh, things will be a little different, and uh, I don't know that Johnson City will be as welcoming to Todd as it has been in the past. Or as welcoming to you. As, uh, <laughs> but one yelp, maybe not another on game Correct. day. Uh, early 2000s, we talked about just briefly, Lee's McRae, 19-3 and three record. So it's not like you are devoid of head coaching experience. It was quite some time ago. Has Todd or anyone that you've coached alongside that's gone on to success at the head coaching level prepared you for any specific challenges from stepping from an assistant to a head coach this time around? I feel like 
in my time at Sanford because uh, Todd worked with the regional development program. He traveled one spring uh, multiple times overseas, so the whole spring season was left to me to handle duties. So um, I feel like he put me in all kinds of positions to where I could understand what it means to manage a team and handle uh, the load of of being the one in charge. Um, I was a young man when I was at Lee's McCray. I think I was only 25 five years old coaching guys you know 18 to 22 so uh, obviously um, I learned a lot but also realized there was a lot to learn and uh, my brother got me back Todd he got me back into coaching and uh, obviously it's been a really positive thing Um, also uh, my brother's wife uh, Shauna battled cancer for three seasons and uh, during that time he took some time to take care of his family and I was left in a position to, you know, be responsible in 2015 to lead the team. And uh, we were able, in the midst of all that, uh, able to win a league title and uh, here actually in Johnson City. So uh, that, that was an experience I'll never forget. Let's talk a little bit about Johnson City now and this ETSU women's soccer team. Obviously, ETSU wanted you, but it's a two-way street when you get to this level. You have to want the job as well and want to be involved in a program. You have to see some positive things, I'm sure, to be able to step into this head coaching position confidently. When you looked at this ETSU women's soccer roster, facilities, etc., what stood out to you? What did you see? Well, you know, I grew up in this area, and I've always had part of Buccaneer in me because, uh, you know, I've been in and around the university. I was here to watch... Uh, Talford and Jennings and all those guys back in the day and saw how passionate the fan base was and uh, you know I worked out in the mini dome I played pickup basketball I worked out on the intramural fields back before soccer was a part of the university so you know I've always been connected to the Bucks so there's a part of me that has always been a buck so um, but Johnson City is home and uh, it is a place that I believe in uh, I do think that the energy of the university, the buildings that are being built, Dr. Nolan's passion for sports and the way Scott has just opened his arms and welcomed me here has been a special experience. And uh, I will do my best to continue to work hard to make a difference in the lives of our players. Being from around the area, from around the Southern Conference, how key is it to capture the minds of fans and supporters, but also to capture the minds of the young people coming up in this area that can be Division One soccer players, keeping that talent here? So me and my two brothers growing up in East Tennessee in the 80s, uh, we there were very few people at that time playing soccer in East Tennessee. So when you told them you played soccer, they looked at you like you might be a foreigner. So um, obviously to see now how the game has grown, to see how many of the young players are playing, I think it's the responsibility to continue to give these kids uh, as many opportunities and potential to have success as possible. So I definitely want to work hard to build a relationship with the local soccer community and and be out there and support that and uh, obviously been out recruiting the state of Tennessee and make sure that they know what East Tennessee State's all about. Well, aside from going and winning this press conference on day one, what is task one for you now that you are at the head of this program? 
one, get to know the team and the players and make sure we make a personal connection with them to know what their strengths and weaknesses are and put them in a position for success and, you know, obviously continue to learn all the niches of the university and things that we can recruit to here. And uh, But also just, in, just getting out there and making sure that the message of we're going to be good people, we're going to work hard, and we're going to look after our teammates, I think, those things at the end of the day are going to go a long ways to determine success or failure. That is Jay Yelton. Coach, we'll let you go and do this press conference. Very whirlwind type day. We appreciate you taking some time. Good luck, and we'll have you back on the show closer to season. Thank you very much. I appreciate my time. Jay Yelton, Piney Flats, Tennessee native. He's back in the area after 17 years at Sanford. Still in the SoCon. Knows the league well. Knows the area well. And couldn't be turning the keys over to a more capable and ready individual. We will be back with more on Santos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. But a simple wrong is never. No, never enough, enough for our bowl show. predictions. <laughs> so I, I need, because the Super Bowl is finally, finally here. Okay. It is uh, Chiefs Niners. I was wondering if you could recap. How, how close, how good, how bad. I know we went over it. I've already forgotten. Could you give me the... Um, Standings and uh, how many points uh, I was better than you? Well, the standings coming into the weekend were 14 to 13 out of 58 attempts. I was on top by one. Just to go back. Yeah, I want to go back real quick. Our season longs for me in the AFC, I had New England, Kansas City, Houston, Cleveland, Oakland, San Diego. So I had Kansas City as the two seed. When New England got beat, I was on the Kansas City of the Super Bowl mm-hmm. train. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but that doesn't give me any points. Got, right, got sure. them for the playoffs, um, obviously. NFC, uh, Rams. Dallas, Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, Chicago. So Green Bay got to the NFC Championship game. Like, okay, you know, what, but my NFC was pretty atrocious. Where your NFC uh, was actually pretty decent, if I remember right. Philadelphia, uh, you know, decent. Minnesota, New Orleans, Seattle, and then Chicago and L.A. Yeah, Chicago and L.A. was pretty But bad. those first four, you know, mm-hmm. not bad. You had Chicago versus New England in the Super Bowl. Sure. You had Minnesota, New Nailed England. Nailed that. In the Super Bowl. I, 
Neither of us obviously had the Niners. I'll say this. There was steam on the Niners coming into the season because Jimmy G was going to be healthy, and it's his second year There's there, always a team below that doesn't make the playoffs, below 500, that makes a run. So well, what, what was the t- the total? How many did I get right? How many did you get right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. From the NFL? Yeah, from the NFL. I don't NFL. really have that anywhere. Yeah, if you would, I, I need you to check that. Uh, I had Minnesota and Green Bay from the NFC. Yikes. And I had New England, Kansas City, Houston, but I missed on Cleveland, Oakland, and San Diego. So five. Mm-hmm. While you had New England, you missed on Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and San Diego. Baltimore and Kansas City, so three plus four, so you had seven. Seven to my five. Seven to five. Could you do me a favor? Could you go to bank 10 Okay. and 50? And we're going to do division division winners and the wild cards, right? And we get a point per correct one? Or how's I, this think that's, I think that's fair. A point per correct and then maybe... An extra point for whoever wins. Oh, it has more. Oh, it gets better. Than okay. The other person. Okay. And so, then so, if, so when I have six and you have five, then <laughs> I win. You get the extra point. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, you getting six is a bold prediction. <laughs> so, so I want to state for the record. Oh, that's that's a great problem. rabbit hole. That's I mean, the other day, I don't have my extra point wow. given. That Mike oh, Gallagher made the rule. Oh, He's the wow. scorekeeper, and conveniently, this is Very my gripe. Conveniently, forgot that that was up. That was episode. You'll love this. That was episode one nineteen. Oh wow! At the one hour eleven minute thirty second mark, and why I was going back and listening to different uh, podcasts was because I had to go back because I hit my first two. And you had thrown the caveat out there in mm. one of the early shows yes. that if you got all three right, instead of three points, you would get ten points. So I, woke and up I was to in that the running there. Yes. I woke up to that text on Sunday morning, and instant fear and horror filled my body. Uh, let me just paint the picture here. So you said the Bucks would have more threes in Western Carolina. They did. I'll, uh, yeah. You're listening to Tornado Baseball. Tornado Baseball. Wasn't in the right. I am the smartest <laughs> man alive. Uh, so it was 10-7. You got that. You said UNCG would win by 15 or more against, who was it, Chattanooga? And it took a 27-6 to six run, is that right, at the end of the game? They closed the game at a 27-6 run? So when I, when I clicked on it and had chalked up I had lost that yeah. was when Chattanooga finally took the lead, I think, at 46-45. And then somebody told me the final score, Ugh. and I was like, how did that happen? So just simple math between 46-45 to what it ended was a 27-6 to six run over the last probably eight, nine minutes of the game. Well, no math for you is simple, but well, that that's is true. Pretty that's true. Math. You, you could double check that. Uh, Thirteen point loss for me. I had San Diego State losing to Nevada to end their perfect season. Didn't happen. Although Auburn did lose again, so there's some measure of you know perfect team getting two losses back to back. But it doesn't help me on bold predictions. I said the women would score seventy or more. Thought they'd emerge from their offensive outage. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. And so you get your first two. I don't get my first two. And I'm sitting there already knowing I'm going to be behind. And now even more behind because for whatever my reason, extra I point, extra point. My extra Why point. did I say that? I'm going to go back and delete it. that out of that episode okay. and then have a revisionist history and put something into the bank 10 myself so we can go back. And I'll say, I mean, how about five points for the person but, but, that... But, but listen, that was so classic. If you go back and listen to it, it's so classic just for the simple... Like you, and we're going to do division, oh, division winners really and the wild cards, right? And we get a point. Per correct one, or how's I think this work? that's I think that's fair. A point yeah. per correct, yeah. and then maybe and then you bring up the idea an extra point for whoever wins, doing? and then I almost or nail more, shall we say? The okay, okay. And so then so, if, so when I have six <laughs> and you have five, then I win. You get the extra point. Okay, right. uh, you getting six is a bold prediction. <laughs> that's, that's great sleuthing by you. Uh. Well done. So your last bold prediction was Titans over Chiefs. 
And now I was already rooting for the Chiefs. Yeah, Coachy's no L- offense, Coachy's Titans, Titans versus the Chiefs. Yep. And, and my Chiefs won. So now, now we're going yeah. to the Super Bowl. It was your Titans. Your, I don't know what you're talking about. The, my Chiefs do I, are do going to Do I have to go back and cut out every you, you bowl can, prediction I mean, from this I year? Mean, you do can, I have to do what you, you just did? You, you, can, you can cut out, but as a New Year's resolution, uh-huh. I'm still looking for my quarterback, and I've moved on from Tannehill. Now I've moved on to my next guy. Who is your next guy? I'll be, I'll be, it's a, pick, I'll be a pick one. It's Mahomes. Okay. So I just said my Chiefs are going to win. My, my yeah, Chiefs are going to win Super Bowl. Heather Williams Chiefs. I did not my, know Heather Williams and Brittany Zell had the same birthday, by the way. That is uh, very interesting. It was Chiefs versus Titans. Those two are Chiefs and Titans fans. You are not either, despite what you say. And you got that prediction wrong. I was living in fear after the tag. When it was 10 nothing. the game. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. 10 points would essentially end it. There would be no reason to do more bold predictions because I would be, I think, unable to catch you because we did not do season-long basketball predictions this year. Mm. We should probably do like some random basketball predictions for yeah, the rest of the season. We did, like we did not, did we? No. Oh, some we did last right. year. We didn't do it this year. Uh, I had the Packers over the Niners, so we both missed on our upsets. Uh, the Niners are facing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Chiefs are going to win big. Uh, not your Chiefs. Get that out of here. Stupid Chiefs. <laughs> Stupid Jay. Jay Elton was on the show today. That was fun because it wasn't Jay Sandoz. And you are now ahead 16 to 14. You yeah. have, I think. What a comeback. You're on some incredible streak. You've gotten like nine of the last 10 points or something like that. I am it's falling incredible. apart. It has been pretty impressive how you predicted. I think it may be more impressive how terribly I predicted. It's been a perfect storm for you to be able to come back and take the lead. You're now 16 for 61. Mm. I'm 14. For 61, the extra point. Why did I do that to mm. myself? You'd still be ahead. It'd still be 15, 14. I, I, still, would, myself... I still would be ahead. I knew that ahead, but I just want to go ahead. I, I mean, got to pull can't myself points out there, right? I'm... I got to pull myself from the slump. Yeah, points I'm, are I'm, few and far between. And, and I'm not good enough to let them float. I, I got to take them when I can get them. All right, Wednesday, we'll talk uh, ETSU uh, women's basketball because the men do not play. So we'll yeah. maybe do a recap of the uh, first half of the Southern Conference. It's not quite the midway point, but certainly we'll take maybe a Maybe Brad Irwin, softball coach. Oh, yeah. That's coming up. Baseball as well. Bucketer. Sports Network Wednesday. See ya.